This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Corey Thone, Corey Smith, and Isis, and we have finally made it. Winter came, just like Arya said last night, on the Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 1, Dragonstone, and let's get right into it. That amazing cold open, I looked it up, there have only been six cold opens in the seven uh, seasons of the show, season two skipped the cold open. But for the other seasons, they had a cold open. But by far, in my opinion, Corey Smith, this was the absolute best cold open on Game of Thrones and possibly on television. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, you think of some of the the other ones that stand out. You know, obviously this this whole series started with the cold open. Mm-hmm. You know, when we had the guys going north of the wall. Uh, you had that one in season four where Tywin has the um, blacksmith chopping down ice into, into two different swords. So th- there's been some good ones. But they weren't necessarily terribly significant. This one last night was just a whole scene that kind of moved the whole plot forward. So it definitely was a departure from some of the other ones. And it, I mean, it started the whole thing off with a bang because we had House Frey basically wiped out. You know, completely obliterated couple- from existence except for a few of the females. Right, in just a couple minutes. So it was pretty awesome. I mean, obviously, if you paid any attention to the show, as soon as you saw Walder, you knew something's up. Um, you know, because obviously Arya slit his throat um, in, the, in the season six finale. So you saw Walder sitting up there, and you're like, all right, this probably isn't going to go well uh, for it. For anybody in the room, and then he starts passing out wine, and you can everybody, you know, all the viewers can see the writing on the wall, even if uh, all the dim-witted phrase couldn't. So, yeah. You know what I'm most excited uh, about though is no more of those stupid fucking hats. Oh God, yeah. When they start dropping dead, when all the phrase start dropping dead, and they're all wearing that stupid fucking hat, you're like, thank God, nobody else wears that hat. We're not gonna have to see it anymore. And yeah, it was just it, it was a great great way to start off the season. It's like it, a it, cross between a, a, a 1930s leather football helmet and a hunting hat. I don't know. It's really terrible. Uh, Isis, what did you think of your girl Arya uh, taking care of business without ever drawing her sword? Let me tell you, it, it was incredible. I I again 
knew exactly what something bad was going to happen as soon as we saw Walder Frey. I thought it was a really uh, great nod to the actor as far as, you know, him as him being concerned, uh, showing him for one last time on Game of Thrones because he's been present on the show for for many, many years, for many seasons. Um, But it really kind of brought the theme to this season is going to be death, revenge, death, revenge. (laughs) And and they're probably going to be at the hands of Arya Stark. And I I felt like she really just hit a wonderful note in the, the look on her face. And, you know, when she's walking out and she says, you know, winter has come for the phrase. I, I mean, I couldn't have stood up and clapped any louder if I, if I wanted to, uh, it was really one of those moments that that checkbox was checked off for her. It was a really huge moment. And not only that, but I mean, her personally, you know, what she has gone through throughout the the last couple of seasons, this is like the culmination of all of that. And, um, and I really felt that they did, did it justice. They did it really great. They didn't, you know, make her like second guess herself or anything. No, she made a decision. She, this is what she was going to do. And she, you know, basically killed it. She no, the literally second guessing killed it. came later. The second guessing came when she met her uh pop star idol Ed Sheeran. But uh Well well and, <laughs> and we'll we'll talk we'll about talk that, about bit that later. But uh but no I really felt like this that this episode was definitely uh, or, or I should say the beginning of the episode really was perfect. They couldn't have done it any better. Um just as far as the cold open. I as soon as I saw the cold open I said, Oh yes, we are in for a real big treat here. And then to, to start off with Arya, who is one of my favorite characters from the show, um, you know, just basically just go ahead and handle some business. It was really great. Corey Thone, you're our realist on the show. Uh, give me the real scoop from somebody who doesn't get too excited about really anything much. Well, it's important to remember that this is a television show, so it didn't <laughs> actually happen. Well, actually. No. <laughs> actually uh, so. I mean, that scene was great. I loved it. I'm not going to take a crap on it. It was straight fan service, though. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's going to go down in the books or whatever, but... At this point, it that. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that, that scene reminded me a lot of uh, in the final episode last season with Olena just laying verbal bitch slaps down on the sand snakes. Like, <laughs> was it... Like, I mean, I'm I'm glad it happened. I'm not saying it wasn't necessary to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't push the story forward. I'm just saying they really played it up. Uh, as a, it was a hell of a way to open the, the, the season. I'm not, again, I don't hate the scene or anything. I really liked it. And I think it really goes to show how far Maisie Williams has come. As an actress, as an absolutely. Actress. She is, she's just really turned into as much of a show stealer as... Uh, Royer McCann, the Hound? Yeah, the Hound, or if you look back in the early seasons, as um, Tyrion was yeah. Peter Dinklage. I mean, people that we didn't expect to to do. Yeah, the Hound. This is a hell of an episode for the Hound. But anyway, I yeah. loved it. Loved the cold open. There's only been like like you said six, and and the only one I can think that I that left as much of an impact after it was over as this one was the very first one with mm-hmm. the guys north of the wall. So absolutely. Uh, I love the fact that if you compare contrast this scene, this cold open where when she pulls off the Walter Frame mask and she's very serious and she's very like stern and then she like she walks out of the room with purpose. Like it's she's I don't know, man. She's got this 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 badass gait as she's walking out, 
And then when she meets the Lannister soldiers in the forest, and again, we'll talk about this later, she's completely different. Uh, and that shows you, again, the kind of actress that Macy Williams has evolved into and the character development of Arya Stark is she can play a badass when she wants and she can be a, a vulnerable, nice person when she wants. It, and it, it just depends on the situation. And we'll talk more about the the depth of that character and how basically all the Starks have grown uh, later. But let's, the second scene honestly was just as good almost from a jaw-dropping standpoint, and that was the Night King. Corey Smith, the last time we saw the smoke monster from the island on Lost uh, precede the Night King, was it Hardhome, right? Yes, that, that was a lot. No, we saw the Night King in season six when... I'm talking uh, the smoke, the, the mist that like precedes yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where he brings the mist in. Yeah, you're right. That, that was in season five um, at Hardhome. So... Yeah, that it was it was cool because we had the the credits and the credits, you know, just to back up just a second. The credits, you know, we all in Westeros this season, which was nice. We didn't have anything over in Essos. Um we saw the twins, but then we also saw Old Town for the first time in the credits, um which was pretty cool. But then yeah, we we jumped to the Night King. It looks like we're in a desert at first. Yeah. You know, it's just this kind of blank you know kind of sand uh looking thing but then you know we we see the the smoke the the fog the wind chill whatever you want to call it start coming towards the camera and we realize it's it's north of the wall and that it's winter and then you know you get the shot of the night king and you think it's just gonna be the night king you know rolling down by himself but then you start seeing the shot of his army and it's like holy shit i think they you know, I think they wanted to remind us, like, look, this is what the real, the real you know, deal, Holyfield. This is the like. Right. I honestly thought for a second, Isis, that I saw Hodor in the middle. There was a big, wide, white walking towards the camera, and I, I told my wife, "Holy shit, that's Hodor!" And if it's Hodor, the internet will melt into a million pieces because uh, Christian Nairn did that commercial for HBO, and everybody said, "Oh, Christian Nairn's coming back. He's gonna be a white. He's gonna be a white. Watch out." And then, like, he had different color hair, and I was like, oh, man, that would have been amazing. And then just right after the fake Hodor, we had three fucking undead giants. What did you think of that? Yeah, I was freaking out. As a matter of fact, a, a couple of people, when we were doing our live tweet, um, you know, asked me. They were like, hey, is is that the one that was, you know, fighting with uh, with John? And, and I was like, no, I mean, it they would be at Castle Black if, if you know, when he died, that's when when um, when the giant died. So well, one one died at Winterfell. That one one oh, died Winterfell, at Winterfell. Sorry, but there Winterfell. were there were two or maybe three that died in season four at at, at Hart Home. Well, no, at, at no, no at the wall at the wall. They fought at the wall, and the the Night's Watch like dropped shit on them and killed them. And uh, so those bodies, though, John told Sam to make sure the bodies were burned. So I would think that the giants that fought at the wall would have been burned too. But one one, John knows to take care of one one, and so does well, Tormund. Well, that's what I said. You know, that's what I, I I was that's what I was saying on Twitter is like, you know, there's no way that that one's one one. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna make sure that 
he's not going to be able to come back again and stuff like that. So I wouldn't worry too much about him, but, um, but I am worried about the giants. I mean, you know, it's like one of those things that you go, okay, you know, they got a lot of dead people that are following them. And then you see these giants and you're like, Oh shit, they got a giant. You know, it's kind of like that moment that like, Oh, they got a Hulk, you know, (laughs) they, they got, they got three freaking ones, and they have a they have a cave troll. <laughs> they have a cave troll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice Lord of the Rings. All right. So, so uh, it, anyway, I thought it was just uh, one of those moments that I think it really kind of demonstrated the power of of this this you know mass of undead that are that's marching towards them, and um, and you know I think it kind of really made it real for a lot of. I mean, for me, it, uh, Heart Home made it real enough. You know, when you bring back little kids from the dead, I'm yeah, and they that just creeped me out. So um, we've had undead but, kids, and we've had uh, we've had Carsey come back. We've had some heartbreaking whites. Corey Smith, what kind of point did you want to make, real quick, on that? I just wanted to point out that it, in every season in the past, we've only seen the White Walkers once per season, um, oh. and that and now we've seen them in the very first episode. Um, and we know from the trailers we're obviously going to see more of them this season. Because the so, Night King turns and looks at the crows flying over. Right. They have that. You also have the scene of John fighting the White Walker oh uh, using um, Longclaw. Mm-hmm. So I just found it interesting that in the past we've seen the White Walkers once per season. And now we've seen them in the very first episode. And we know that they're going to be in at least one or two other episodes Meaning they're going to be in at least half the episodes this season, um, so I just think it's pretty. You know that they keep saying "winter's coming, winter's coming." Winter is here. That's the hashtag. Right. Exactly. We're and we're as Arya said, them. winter came. And Corey Phone, this speaks to the volume of the season, right? Like, I mean, what Corey Smith's saying is right. We're going to see this army all over the place this this uh, season, possibly you know killing some of our favorite characters. Uh, this, but we see these giants, and I want to point out really quick before you, before you, uh, you say something about this, but one of the motion posters for this season uh, looked like One One's eye. Everybody said it was One One's nose, the bridge of his nose, and everybody was talking about that. And everybody was like, "No, they're not going to bring One One back. He's dead." A lot of people were, were saying about. Well, it's a giant. They're going to have a giant on the show. Well, there you go. There's your undead giant. And I'm not sure if that was his eye in the motion poster, but uh, we had three. So, uh, Corey Phone, I want to ask you really quick uh, before we move on to our next uh, locale in Westeros. Uh, what did you does it? What does this speak to the volume of the show this season? Uh, the but Giants, the, the size, man. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a metaphor, man. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm from You're Arkansas. I kind of do metaphors. So, <laughs> How do you eat them? <laughs> so there's – when you – like Corey was talking about with the, the whites showing up this early in the show. I mean, not just early in the season, early in the episode. Right? Yeah. Just straight up show up that early. I, I do think that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Obviously showing us the – the the giants was a big deal. They could have showed us that earlier, but they they chose to save that reveal until this episode. And there was also the giant that had the big bow and arrow thing on its back. So 
Oh. I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing in that as well. So the one there, that shot the Night's Watch guy off the off the off the wall. I remember that. I'm talking about the white, the giant. Oh, the, the white. The, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you look in the one of the three giants has a giant like long bow strapped over his shoulder. Okay. Did you, you guys not notice that? I did not. But it makes okay, sense. I didn't notice it. I guess I figured you would have. I'm the one that doesn't notice things like that. But uh, I, I was just looking on El Interneto, and somebody <laughs> had a screen cap, and and they showed. You know, this one's got a big bow, and I'm like, oh snap! They could probably shoot some pretty big things in the sky with that. So, uh, <laughs> sir, let's not ruin the whole season. Come on. Well, I just they shouldn't have shown it then. Like but we I, I, had spoilers exactly, on here. Yeah, ever. we spent. <laughs> Like like Corey like Corey Smith is really worried about spoiling things for people. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's be back real. To talking about the fashion, okay? <laughs> let's talk about capes. I want to know how long John Snow no cape was. <laughs> no capes. <laughs> but no, I I think that as Corey pointed out, this was super uh, unprecedented for the show to to go with White Walkers this early, and I think that that does imply. Along with the hound speech and just in general what the show has been building to, or not really a speech, but his vision in the fire, whatever. Yeah. That this season's going to have a lot more White Walker than we've seen before. A lot more White well, Walker for your buck. Well, I found it interesting that we went to Castle Black so quickly. I mean, we had talked about in previous podcasts um, that you can download from iTunes, by the way. You know, that <laughs> Castle Black. Um, you know, that it was going to take a while possibly to get to Castle Black that, you know, um, uh, it it may be an episode or two, but we got there pretty quickly. I mean, it was pretty much soon after the whole Arya uh, scene, you know, then they did the credits and stuff like that. And then we were at Castle Black. And I I, I found that to me shocking because I didn't expect that. I thought maybe they were going to be, you know, walking, maybe pontificating about some crap or whatever. Or maybe uh, there was going to be a vision that he's going to be looking, you know, from a crow or whatever, or a raven, sorry, a raven or whatever. Um, and that did not happen. We instantly got to Castle Black. And, and, and to me, that was really telling because I said, Holy crap, the pace of the show is at lightning speed. They're moving I mean, pieces on the board yeah. right, really fast. Yeah. This show this show has been molasses <laughs> in a bucket in an igloo for six seasons, and then we just got Danny getting off a boat and brand, you know, dragging ass up to Castle Black <laughs> and just like just like that, man. Mira dragging literally. brand ass up to, yeah. up to the gate. Yeah, it I took totally it took right. them two seasons to get from Winterfell to the cave of the Three Eyed Raven, seasons three and four. And now that he's out of the cave of the Three Eyed Raven in six, he's back at Castle Black in one episode, basically. So, can we talk about how yeah. we talked about uh, a couple episodes back how haggard Mira looked in the photo? She was tired as fuck, you guys. Like. Like she basically bent over and put her hands on her knees, like, and was panting. She was so tired, like, like she had run a marathon. She was that tired, and she basically had a marathon with a of a sled, basically. And my favorite part of that scene is, is twofold: is one, we had uh, Ed come out with John's cloak that he gave him last season, and told him not to knock the wall down. And he asks him if they're wildlings, and he doesn't believe Mira, 
But as soon as badass Bran lifts his head up and says, you were at the fist of the first man at Hard Home, you saw the Night King, the look on uh, Ed Tollette's face just, I started laughing. And kudos to, is it, is it Ben Compton? I believe his name is. He killed that scene because he went from cocky, arrogant Lord Commander Ben uh, Ed to, oh my Jesus, we need to go. That's just like that. Um, well, uh, that you know, when you talk to a Stark, it only takes a few minutes before <laughs> you start to get depressed. So <laughs> that's how true. he knew he didn't need he didn't need a driver's license. He was like, "I'm Bran Stark. Oh, you're related to John." Mm, I see oh, a darkness shit. in you. Oh shit! Just come inside. God, shut up! Like it is that Star Wars reference. Damn yeah. it! We are hitting all cylinders tonight. <laughs> so, this is why you pay the yeah. big bucks. Yeah. Well, actually, I was half expecting Bran to start going into the the saga of Darth Plagueis the Wise. But... <laughs> it's not a tale of the three eyed raven to tell you. So no Ironic, right. isn't Ironic. it? <laughs> so, um. Let's move, though, as fun as that scene was, uh, and as quickly as we got to those locations, boom, right to the Hall of Winterfell, where, where several things happened that I'm sure we're going to spend some time on. Uh, but <sighs> John's holding court as king in the north, and he's already telling everybody there that not just the men need to be trained, but so do the women, and right there we got... Corey Phones, Lady Bear, stood up and had a scene. Phone, mm-hmm. take us through it. Well, she once again was very uh, pointed and accurate in her speech where she made the claim that, you know, she plans on fighting. Everybody needs to fight. She believes John. I think she has a crush on John, to be I honest. I think so, but she too, be- yeah. she, Well, I mean, I have a crush on John, so I that's would. not fair to say. Uh Obviously, she believes, John, that the White Walkers are real and that they're coming and everything that John has said she agrees with. And she understands, too, that the White Walkers, the zombies, they they don't – there's no Geneva Convention for them. (laughs) There's there's nothing to keep them from slaughtering – well, they're going to turn the children and women into whites and then use them as soldiers. So, I mean, it totally makes sense that – what John said is correct. Everybody needs to learn how to defend yourselves and how to help. I'm not. I don't think he's going to go and put, you know, a bunch of women and children on the front line, but they're going to be armed in the back. And you know, it's when shit goes down, they're going to have to swing a sword, man. You know, it's just how it goes. So she she once again put the broom at rest with just an <laughs> incredible speech. <laughs> they really. I don't know if if she, I can't tell. I mean, obviously she's talented. But I don't know if like they focus really hard on making her speeches perfect. She delivers them so well. I don't know. It's last that girl season was her first kid. ever acting season, I believe. She just she just can. Obviously, they frame the scene that way. But that little girl just demands your attention when she's talking. And there are certainly actors on the show that have been on there for six, seven seasons now that don't demand your attention the way she does. I don't know if it's just. The way they frame it, they take a lot of care because she is a child, or if it's literally that the kid is just that, I don't know, has that much gravitas, but she's crushing it. They talked about last season uh, after Six was over that when Bella Ramsey delivered the King of the North speech and cowed uh, uh, Glover and what's his name, Manderly, 
that everybody in in the room, everybody at the hall, Winterfell, stood up and gave her a standing ovation. So uh, I'm sure, and she knocked it out again. You're right, absolutely. And I wanted to point out, not only did she knock it out with the speech, but the head nods. There were several head nods and chin dips, and she <laughs> delivered them quite well. <laughs> well, I, hey, I just want to come in here real quick, and and I, this is something that I said, you know, on my live tweet that I really feel like Liliana is, is, you know, the feminist that we need in game of Thrones um, because she really brought it home as far as like, look, this is, this is how important it is. No one should be sitting back knitting anything. We all need to, if we all want to survive, this is something that we need to do. And I felt like it was really telling when they panned back to Brienne because I felt like Brienne was beaming with pride that there was someone of her age and of her stature basically saying, you know, we all need to be out there no matter if we're, you know, women, children, whatever we, we need to be out there defending ourselves because, you know, at the, at its core, Brianna has always been, you know, kind of cast aside, um, as far as, you know, being a woman or except for when Tormund's looking at her, but, (laughs) uh, and that's a totally another conversation, but, you know, as far as, being a woman who can defend herself and can fight and and could keep up with the men and everything, I found it very refreshing uh, that here we have this little friggin' Leanna Mormont who is saying like we can do this. We may be women, but it doesn't make that's not a defect. And um, and I felt like you see Brianna for the very first time just kind of hearing that coming out of someone. A, a woman, a young lady, uh, who's in her stat in that stature, and just being proud, beaming with pride, uh, and so that's something that I really took away from that. I loved it. She's feminist as fuck, and I I'm totally fucking here for it. <laughs> I love that. So I love it. Yeah, she, no, she you, is. And you know what I like though is you you have a good point. Is it went from Liana to Brienne watching her. Sansa had a nice little. Uh, that that nice little perfect half smile she's perfected since she killed Rams- Ramsey, and then uh, those were the three, if I believe, the three power females in the room, and even Alice Karstark had a sword on her hip, and then I know she, it probably was just ceremonial. I could be wrong. She could be ready to use that sword, probably better than her dickhead brother or uncle, whoever he was, Harold. But, uh, you know... That was the, the redhead that yeah, came up, right? That was the one well, that everybody I, thought was Sansa's double but when, this, when there was filming, and then we all figured out she was Elise Karstark. But, uh, yeah. Well, she, let me tell you something. Now that basically Jon Snow basically saved their house, I believe that she will do anything for Jon Snow in particular, uh, but, but the house Stark. I totally believe that because... He had the opportunity to say, you know what, get the fuck out, and he didn't do that. Oh, do we, do we want to get into this topic right now? We, let's let's go ahead. Well, and talk I mean, about I think it. it's the next. I think it's the next topic that we that we have. I mean, that's the next thing that happens um, in that whole scene. But in my opinion, I, you know, I really feel like, and and you, if you know my lie tweet, I said it already. I think Jon Snow actually made the right decision. Sansa should probably should have waited to talk to him and everything. Um, and I think that Sansa is right in some ways about some things, but I really felt like Jon Snow was right in this particular decision and letting those children uh, keep their their house. 
Um, you know, this was a decision that was not made by them. Uh, it was made by what their father, correct? And um, yeah, and the I van feel, is yeah, the, yeah they're, they're, okay. They're they're brothers, like John said. The houses shouldn't be punished because of the decisions of the brothers and the uncles, but because most of the fathers in the north are dead, they died for fighting for Rob. Um, right. But here's here's where this was not very popular. I was tweeting from two uh, Twitter accounts last night, Show Snob and and Wick, and I was saying things like Sansa has a point. John is right, but this is the North, and everybody got really mad that Sansa was speaking up during the meeting, and there's so much hate out there for her, right? Okay, we've talked about this before, and yeah, she's not a very popular character. I get that. I understand that. I, I, I get where people are coming from, but her talking back to John, even though he's the king in the North, is just framed the scene because there were other power women in the room, Brienne as a warrior – uh, Liana as a leader, Elise as the new leader of her house, and then uh, Sansa as a lady of Winterfell. She has just as much voice as anybody in the room. Those guys, the guys in the room, had no problem uh, speaking up and saying they should go home. And oh, are, do you mean to put a bow in my in my granddaughter's hands? Well, yeah, Sansa has just as much right as anybody else to speak up. Uh, so uh, I think that it was a great scene between John and Sansa, and uh, John, and it also served to bring John's kinglyship out. Like he went from being uh, he was arguing with his, with his who he thinks his sister, but his cousin, and then he he basically legitimized two houses again. And he did it very regally, and I was very impressed with how Kit Harrington delivered Jon Snow's uh, lines there. But um, it's probably cool. the most he's spoken in like I don't know four seasons. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, what what f- f- Corey Smith? I know you you don't agree that Sansa should have spoke up, and I really need to hear why it's not why she shouldn't have spoke up, but it's okay for Glo- how, uh, Lord Glover to stand up and and bitch about his granddaughter. Well, okay, it's a delicate way to 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 bring up, but I don't think Sansa should have spoken up in front of the crowd like that because, like John says later, it undermined John's authority. Lord Glover or Lyanna Mormont could speak up. You know, anybody else in that room could speak up because it's clear that none of them have the same authority that John does. Like even if they disagree with John, it's it's clear that he's still the king. Whereas with Sansa, Sansa's at the high table and she's basically undercutting everything John is saying. And so if you're in the if you're in that room, it looks like there's dissension at the top of the you know chain of command. Um, I mean that's that's the best analogy I can put it, is that you know you expect your executive officer, your first you know your your second in command to back you up in front of everybody else. You know, you can disagree in, in private, but you know, in public, you're supposed to have one face, you know, like I get you know, when saying, mom, you've got a point. Yeah. Right. When mom and dad, you know, mom and dad can't undercut each other in front of everybody. It's kind of that sort of thing. It's like, you know, they can go to their bedroom and they can say, Oh, I, I think you made the wrong choice or blah, 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 blah. 
But in front of the kids, in front of all the lords, they need to be united and be on the same page because it just doesn't project a good look to everybody who they're supposed to be leading. So that was my main problem. Um, I didn't have any problem with it. I mean, with it being Sansa because she's a woman, just she shouldn't have done that in front of everybody else because John's position is kind of tenuous. So well, I don't think his position is tenuous. I think I think what you're trying to say is. Even if it wasn't Sansa, if it was Bran that had spoke up, it would still be right. wrong. Right. Had Bran been sitting right there, it would it still would have been good for Bran to bring it up in private because the, they're at the head of the table, they're at the head of the hall, and they're supposed to all be on one page. And so I didn't necessarily like that. She did have a good point. I did see where she was coming from that, you know, there's there's no punishment for treachery and no uh reward for loyalty i mean i get what she was saying ultimately i agree with john but i get what she was saying it's not like what she was saying was a you know a totally stupid point or something i just thought she should have done it in private as well you're almost there bring it home bring it home you're almost there i was gonna say phone you got it sansa was her her point is just as legitimate as anyone else's and this gets back into uh sansa just still not quite getting it and the, the the it was almost like a round table. Leona Mormont said something. John said something about oh we're gonna arm daughters. And then Glover, are you gonna arm my granddaughter? And yeah, we are. And it's like here's why. And it's a round table. And then you know now what to do with the you know and Glover disagreed with John's uh, stance and he let it be known. I don't think that we need to be arming little girls and our wives. And John was like, well we're gonna. And here's why. And he shut up. And sat down. Mm-hmm. Sansa disagreed with the idea that we are not going to punish House Karstark or House Umber for the sins of their fathers. Which subpoint, Sansa? How do you not get John's stance on this since he's been punished his entire life <laughs> for the sins of his father, Damn. which weren't actually? I don't want to get into how it's not that, but that's what everybody you have thinks, a great right? point. Damn, damn. Boom. Boom. So, so basically. You know, John has been the bastard his whole life, and and he was at the wall because he was a bastard, and he had he shouldn't have been at the wall. He could have been a, a huge help to Rob. He could have been a huge help because he'd be dead, but to Ned or whatever else. But anyway, Sansa spoke her piece, and it was a, a very well made point that had very much legitimacy behind it. God, I almost just said legitimism, which isn't a word. Uh, <laughs> On this also podcast, it like, is now. Yeah, legitimism. That's the name of this podcast now. It's not Dragonstone. It's legitimism. Strategery. Yeah, lockbox. So <laughs> I, um, the problem that is, is Sansa spoke her piece and John countered. And then she countered back, which again is not unheard of, especially for somebody at the the table. She's got a place at the table. She's not even in the crown. She's there. And she countered back, yeah, but – and he he then said, I hear you, but – I'm not going to punish these kids. That's not how it's going to work. I'm not going to take, you know, a family's home away that they've had for thousands of years because two guys who also had some legitimate complaints about the Starks, let's not pretend they didn't, were uh, were dicks. Then she kept going. She started getting snippy. She started going back and forth. That right there is where Sansa didn't get it. That's why she got shut down. That's why she's annoying. Is that she <laughs> for every every step forward she's made as a character has been followed with two steps back of her not getting it, not knowing what to do, being confused. And the scene immediately following this back and forth with John 
where they're talking about it and Sansa, you know, says, you need to listen to me more. And it's like, he was. This just goes back to you not telling anybody about the veil. You've apologized for it, but it's still weird. And it's like, you know, John's got to be like, I still still don't get why you didn't tell me you had 10,000 horsemen in your back pocket, but whatever. And, and it, it, then she then she follows it up with saying, "You're really good at this." Yeah, bitch, he is really good at it, and you need to realize that and stop arguing <laughs> so much about it. Like it just kind of Sansa to me has always been this doe-eyed, ha- like how the shit are you still alive type person? And she's alive because she's a fighter. She's a Stark. She has a fighter's instinct, despite the fact that she isn't Arya. Her fighting is more internal. It's it's her. Um, her moxie, I guess, right? She's done what she's had to do to survive, just like Marjorie, just like Cersei. Right. She's she's played the game from a woman's perspective, and she hasn't tried to turn the tables the way that Brienne and Arya are. But well, and, and I want to I want to uh, just interrupt one thing, and and because you just said it, you exactly just placed it. She is like the low rent Cersei. Oh, she wants to be Cersei so bad. But she just doesn't have the the knowledge to do that. Does that make sense? I mean, she no, just, it does. She mm-hmm. wants to be Cersei so bad, down from her hair. Even if you look, if you looked at that scene where she and uh, Jon Snow are talking, and she's kind of saying, "You know, you're really good at this," like kind of trying to sweet talk him and everything. It was her hairstyle, her look that she's kind of going for is pure early season maybe what two three cersei yeah and and if you look back you you'll you'll see it and you'll go damn it she's right because i am and And, uh and i i really feel like that's that's who she wants to be and Sansa even made a comment about it like you know you uh john said you know uh you sound like you really you know admired her or whatever and it's because she did she admired the power that cersei has and she does know cersei the best you know that that um message that came in for Jon Snow i mean that's one of those moments that i would probably listen to sansa uh mm-hmm. because she knows that person the best now in the when they were in the throne room yeah sansa you're you're not going to you're not going to get my vote on that one but as far as dealing with with cersei and everything but i feel like Cersei, excuse me, Sansa really wants to be a Cersei type person. Maybe a she thinks of herself a better person, but if she keeps on this path that she's going, she might find herself uh, very Cersei like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just to jump in and keep building on what you're talking about. She does respect Cersei because she's watched Cersei carve out this this amount of power uh, within. The structure that's been built to hold her back. Cersei was married to a guy that didn't love her. And while he wasn't, at least in the show, he wasn't like beating her the way that Joffrey did or Ramsay did. You know, she was able to to, to take a phrase from you, Isis, get, get some agency within that struggle. And now is the queen, right? So Cersei, I think Sansa does see that and respects that I don't, the hustle, I guess. But ultimately... She's going to have to make a choice, and the choice is going to come at the behest of Littlefinger, and I think this is how Littlefinger eventually gets dealt with. She's going to have to choose power or family. She's going to have to be Cersei or, I don't know, not Cersei. (laughs) Uh, And that's funny that you say that because on on the the tweet that I sent out last night, and it was 
a, 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 um, a gif of Cersei, and it's of her saying, power is power. And and that is the, the pivotal point, is that is Sansa going to go and say, I'm going to chase after this power, or am I going to be the better person? You know, am I going to be the smarter person than, than Cersei than chasing this power? Because, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like, um, you know, it, it's fine for a woman to chase power. Men chase power all the time and everything. But I think it's how we deal with that power uh, that is important. So if Sansa's going to chase this power, how is she going to deal with it? Is she going to deal with it the Cersei way or is she going to deal with it the Le- Leanna, you know, type of right. way? It, it well, really is... I just I think I think it's going to come down to if you want to draw Cersei Sansa parallel to the way they were raised. So I think there's a lot of similarities between House Lannister and House Stark that I'm sure there's been countless think pieces about. But they both, for example, they both had a child within the family that nobody wanted, <laughs> right? John Tyrion and, and Tyrion. John, yeah. And the way that they were treated by their family is similar, but not the same because. You know, obviously the circumstances were a little different, but John was raised to by Ned to be a highborn, right? And Tyrion was used by the the Lannister family to do stuff they didn't want to do, and it anyway, it all just kind of builds back to they both the Lannisters and the Starks. You know, Tywin and Ned in the show, and I'm sure in the books have given multiple speeches about. Uh, family, family being the reason that we're doing this thing we're doing, right? It's very mm-hmm. important for family. The Lannis- But the thing is, the Lannisters were about keeping their power and keeping their name strong. And the Starks were about family. family. It's truly the most important thing. So I think that Sansa is going to be presented with an opportunity to be more like Cersei and to fully align with Littlefinger and all that crap and is going to not do it and that's going to be the end of Littlefinger. Yeah, well, let me let me throw in real quick two points, and then we'll switch back to the uh, Winterfell uh, Hall. Uh, we should probably move on, though, to be honest. Well, hold on. Well, is, Cersei wasn't the, wasn't the only Lannister that was brought up. I mean, he's technically a Lannister. He's he was born from Jaime and Cersei, even though he's called Baratheon. Joffrey was, jo- she, you know, she called John like she, you know, she basically compared him to Joffrey, and it kind of hurt his feelings a little bit because when she says, you know, no, you're not Joffrey. He says, well, thank you. Like, it kind of hurt his feelings. You can see, like, it was like, oh, my God, that sucks. And then – Well, he still then, remembers that little peep squeak yeah, of the guy that absolutely. he met in season one. So, but it's, it's yeah. great that you guys are talking about the parallels. Like, Corython, you bring up the parallel between the families. Well, not only Cersei, but Joffrey, it, arguably two of the worst Lannisters that we've seen on the show. So um, – but, yeah, and then uh, this, was, this question was brought up by AtVickers18 on Twitter. He talked about why don't people take Sansa more seriously. Uh, she has a lot of knowledge and a lot of major players on the board. The Queen's Hand was her husband. I don't uh, – and here's my answer to that at Vickers18. The Queen's Hand now, but he had nothing to do with her when they were married. He would sleep on the couch basically and go nail his whore, Shay, on every chance he got. So Sansa really had not – really didn't have a lot to do with Tyrion. And number two, you know, she has some knowledge, but I don't think Littlefinger's taught – I don't think she's learned everything she can from Littlefinger. And this whole fake mythology of Darth Sansa, that never really came to fruition. She was basically putting on a show. Um, so I think, I think Sansa 
I think you guys are right. We're at a crossroads with her, and I think you're probably going to see a lot of flip-flopping back and forth. And in my opinion, and this is not a spoiler, I didn't read this anywhere, I think Sans is playing Littlefinger for, to the end. And we're going to find out later, you know, and, and, I, and I don't think it's going to happen towards the end. I think it's probably going to happen towards the middle of the season, so like a couple of more episodes. But, Corey Smith, we're going back to the uh, Hall of Winterfell, and let's talk about... Uh, something that John did in the books as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he does as King of the North on the show. Yeah, um, well, the first thing in the, in the hall, he, he starts ordering everybody to look for Dragonglass. They mm-hmm. want Dragonglass because it kills White Walkers. Um, so he, they don't know where it is, they don't know how to get it, but they, he says everybody start looking for it. Look in your libraries. To find out, check your maps, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but then, yeah, the second thing he does is, you know, they kind of decide. Well, the Night King's coming. The last place we saw him was at Hardhome, which is um, on the eastern coast of uh, north of the Wall. Mm-hmm. So they decide if that's where he still is. Most likely, he's going to come down, you know, around that area. So we need to man the castle that's there. Which was kind of confusing because I, from what I understood earlier in the seasons, East Watch by the Sea was manned. Um, Early on, it was you'd never really heard anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a slightly confusing, but they decide they're going to send Tormund uh, to East Watch by the Sea because and think he that's makes sure he the, rubs it in too. Yeah, he he turns to Lord Glover and he's like, "I guess we're the Night's Watch now," <laughs> uh, which was, was a cool little line. So yeah, I mean, they basically. They're gonna go over there to to the east, the farthest east that the wall stretches, and they're gonna man the castle there because that's their best guess as to where the Night King is gonna go. So, I thought that was pretty cool because yeah, in the books he starts, uh, you know, John when he's Lord Commander he starts manning all the castles on the Night's Watch with people from the from the Night's Watch, people from you know from the Wildlings, and and anybody can get his hands on. So. Yeah, it was definitely a nice nod to the books. Um, and it, I mean, it makes sense strategically since they do think the Night King is over on that, on the eastern side. So, so we've got confirmation that at some point Tormund's headed to Eastwatch. Uh, but we're headed to King's Landing where we got a nice dose of Cersei, uh, walking over, uh, that map and it's being painted on the floor and that's cool. But Jamie comes in and they have a conversation about, of all things, that, that resonated with me was basically Tommen's death. That Cersei said, Tommen betrayed us. And she has a point, but you guys will have a look in the mind of the person who's supposed to be one of the big villains of the show. She she thinks her own son betrayed her, where he was just malleable by somebody who was more, who was older and wiser or smarter than he was. Uh, which basically she was trying to be. So, you know. Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, it was also about that sex that he was getting too. I mean, it's true. It's that's yeah, not I mean, that's not. Yeah, he was getting something gratefully that he was not getting from his mother, and so yeah, he was all about that. Yeah, well, I think he got it like once, right? And I then, don't know. And then, and the high I don't sparrow. Know, once we saw. Once, maybe it was enough. But the high sparrow said, "Go back to your husband," and she never really had a chance to. So, not that we know of. Anyway, uh, right after that, um, 
this is where a lot of people said Cersei kind of uh, redeemed herself because a lot of people say that she's uh, her tactics are uh, bullish. Uh, she's she tries to be like Tywin, but she's more like Jaime because she doesn't do anything poli- like politically savvy. She kind of just goes in and throws her weight around. But this time she finds out about Euron Greyjoy and uh, decides to invite him to King's Landing. Him and his thousand ships got built really quick, and not only that. They sailed somewhere where they sold uh, black leather outfits and guy liner. And <laughs> I, I made this point, and I talked about it to some, some people in, uh, in our group chat today at work, and I was like, hey, look, Euron Greyjoy in this season is way better than Euron Greyjoy in last season because last season – he was basically the culmination of the Dorn plot. He was he was an idiot who came in and did anything he wanted to and didn't care about the rules because he was Euron Greyjoy, just like the Sand Snakes. For the Sand Snakes, our father was O'Baron Martell. Uh, you, you killed our father, prepare to die. And then he even had his own bad pussy line. Uh, I'm going to give him my, my great big cock. So he was just a horrible, horrible, awful character. And then this season, he comes, you know... I guess I don't even know what what word I'm trying to use. He just comes sauntering. Sauntering. Thank you. He was sauntering in, and he even approaches the the dais where Cersei is, and the mountain has to back him down. And he gives the some of the best lines of the night, man. He he trolls the shit out of Jamie with the two hands remark. Uh, Isis, if you're Cersei, and you and you you got Jamie on one hand. Who, in my opinion, is kind of the sad puppy dog right now. Like he was looking at Cersei, like, "Are you gonna defend me? Are you gonna let him say that to me?" And then you got this asshole who probably smells like stale urine and an ale. I don't know. He he just looks like he stinks, but he's talking a big game. Who are you going yeah, with? I, I'm I'm telling you that something that really shocked me. About Euron just kind of coming in there. Because at first we see Jamie kind of telling Cersei, like, look, sis, you know, you really don't have the army for this. We have all these enemies that are surrounded. At best, we have, like, three, you know, houses that are, like, going to be behind us. And none of them are going to be the ones that we need that have the horses and the grain and all these things, you know. And so he's telling her all this stuff and everything. And in his mind, you have to be thinking, this guy's got to be thinking that he's need, he probably needs to cut and run. Uh, but he's just not that smart enough to do that at this point and everything. So he's trying to poke holes at, through, you know, Euron Greyjoy and say, like, basically kind of show her Cersei uh, that this is not a really good play. This is not a safe play. And everything that Jamie said, Euron freaking owned. <laughs> he owned it. And not only did he own it, it, it was like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, my people were freaking stupid or ugly or whatever the it hell It was crowded. Said. It was getting crowded in there. Yeah, it was getting crowded. I mean, <laughs> come on. And it was – I have to say that his honesty was freaking refreshing. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of fun. Who he, it was. It was so much fun. And he, you know, poked jabs at, at Jamie, who was already poking jabs at him. Um, so he didn't back down. And that is something that I find that Cersei respects. She may not agree with it, or she, you know, she doesn't want her brother to be, you know, talked about like that or whatever. Oh, she doesn't but care. It's something. 
but it's something that she respects and she will go ahead and respect someone's honesty as far as being, yeah, I did that. Or, you know, yeah, I didn't care. You know, I would, she understands people who are after their own goals. Maybe, maybe so, but she, she doesn't care about Euron either. She's, she's about her own. Oh no. She she hates honesty. She hated Olena because she was honest. I think that Euron Euron presents a possible strong alliance, and that's that's why she likes it. But I think she likes it because she knows that he's in it for himself. And once you know that this person's in it for themselves, you can go ahead and create your movement to make sure that they don't get what they want. You know, you can go ahead and plan for that because, oh, I know that this person's going to be after for them after, um, you know, their end goals and everything. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I do this alliance, but I always have one eye trained on this person. You know, on Jamie, seriously, like he is all about his sister and everything, and um, and and she can control that. She knows that she can control Jamie. You know, through his feelings to her um but i i really feel like that you're on at at the end she really probably respected um what he brings to the table and what his end goal is and not only that but she can plan make plans towards that so that that's the only thing i mean and also one little thing i want to mention that you know Euron Greyjoy is looking a hell of a lot different than he did last season um his hair is nice and cut he looks like he went to uh, i don't know the Greyjoy express store and got some new clothes uh he still looks like he smells uh, he went to my, he went to Spencer's Island Iron Islands i messed up with oh, that I, I honestly okay. i liked uh my fiance's line about how he looked. He, she said that he looked like a rejected member of the Killers. Oh, thought that, that was pretty is accurate. Good. No, that's that killed it. That with the guy liner and everything, perfect. It's like Brandon Flowers is like cousin. <laughs> I gotta say this though. I told Corey Smith that I would uh, announce this on uh, publicly, but. Uh, he and I talked about who would have the best lines of the night. I said Leona Mormont. She did have great lines, but I don't know, man. I got to say, Corey Smith, I, I agree with you, man. Euron had some killer scenes and lines of the night and probably took it from, from Leona for sure. So I, I give you props for picking Euron. And I didn't even think – I didn't think Euron was going to show up in this episode. So Yeah, I, I mean it was kind of a shot in the dark. I didn't know if he would either. I just figured if he did show up – he would have some some pretty killer lines, and I think that you know I think Cersei initially was meeting with Euron because he had the fleet, but then when after talking to him for a couple minutes, I think that there's a little bit of an attraction there because if you think about Jamie and Cersei's relationship was originally built on the fact that Jamie was always this arrogant, mm-hmm. um, you know good-looking guy who could kick the shit out of anybody. And when he lost his hand, ever since then, Jamie's been much more humble. He's mm-hmm. been kind of sometimes even meek. And I don't think – I think that's why Cersei hasn't really felt that attraction towards him anymore um, because she's used to her overconfident you know, brother who could do anything. And so when you get Euron strolling in with that old – kind of Jamie confidence that we saw in the first two seasons. 
you know, Rory lost his hand. I think she kind of, you know, there's that old little, like, oh, I kind of like this guy because he's this, you know, overconfident guy who doesn't give a shit. You know, Jamie starts throwing little barbs his way, and Euron doesn't even care. And then oh, man, when, dude, he got his ass kicked. Yeah, and and I mean, I Cersei was attracted to that. And then even when, you know, Cersei rejected his initial offer, Euron was just like, why? And I think, you know, Cersei sees something in Jamie, the the old Jamie in Euron. Um, and I think that that's why she kind of, you know, she kind of agreed to let him go off and bring her back a present. So I, I love Okay. It. Let's talk let's, real awesome. quick. Let's, I think we know what the present is, right? Like, it, I mean, we've seen, we, we, we know what happened in season five, at the end of season five. And, uh, Cersei said many times, her favorite child was Marcella. She was the best of them, right? She was innocent in all in uh, in, in this whole thing, and so yeah. a, a present, in my opinion, would be bringing Alaria Sand to King's Landing, uh, maybe even the Sand Snakes if he can get his hands on them. But um, I've seen talk on the internet that he might be bringing something shiny that could be played. In the uh, wind section of a band, I don't know. A what? horn, goddammit. Oh, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> I was like, you, you lost you're, me. You lost. You're too clever there. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the president, it, it could be Alaria. I, I think he, you know, maybe he doesn't know Alaria specifically. I think in his mind, he's just thinking, let me go kill uh, one of her enemies and prove my loyalty. You know what I mean? Uh, whether it's Alaria or the Sand Snakes or Elena or you know anybody else, I think he's just in his head is like, all right, well she needs proof. I'm gonna go get her somebody's head, and that'll prove you know that I'm you know loyal to her. So that that's I, I that's all I took from it. All right, so um, moving on to uh, the Citadel, and we got a nice shot of the Citadel being built, or you know the Citadel set. In the opening credits, which was nice, but we had High Tower. We saw High Tower this episode as well, which is in Old Town. Um, we had probably the worst uh, working for a living montage I've ever seen in my entire goddamn life. <laughs> can Cor- we? Can, can I talk about this real quick? Yes, please do. Yeah. So I feel like this episode did a good job. This was one of the best episodes that this, that's done a good job of keeping. Uh, the somberness down, like at bay, adding that little bit of levity. Obviously, Euron, the reason he stood out as a character is because everybody else in the show is like, where, where, where. And then then he's like, hey, you know, I've got a ship, i got boats, i got this dope-ass vest, i got two hands. I mean, come on, guys, it could be a lot worse. And, you know, then we get, (laughs) then we get like, like you said, the montage of, uh, Cleaning up Dookie from old men's oh, I uh, couldn't watch chamber pots, whatever. I mean, it was. I mean, in a show full of some of the most gory and and awful murders, that's like one of the most disgusting things. But <laughs> I, I fast forwarded it on the rewatch. I was like, yeah, I don't need to see this. I get it. Well, it was almost like a like a like a Joe Blow uh, whatever those remixes are you know the damn drops guy and everything i forget the the youtube channel that does those it makes songs out of things like uh songify this or whatever oh, it kind of okay. reminded me of that like the way they edited it together it was so 
it felt so out of place in Game of Thrones. And I know that people are, are talking about it, and I, I, I just don't feel like that scene belonged there. And I, I don't like it. Not because it's gross. Not because it's gross. But just because it felt like a, a Benny Hill sketch in the middle of Game of Thrones. It was absolutely Benny Hill because at the very end of the montage, he's watching the other maesters in training scrub the, the pots. And he starts smiling like he's not the only one doing it anymore. And I was like, where is the fucking Benny Hill music? And I said that out loud. But yeah, well, and, I, go ahead. It, and I just want to say that, you know, and I understand what they're saying uh, or the the intent i believe i understand the intent was you know they're just basically showing that like this is how dedicated sam is into figuring out what you know dragonstone and and all the things that the citadel has to to teach him that he's willing to be denied access to the special books or whatever the case may be um and clean up shit and clean up you know blood and guts and you know the uh the autopsy and we'll get to uh jim broadbent in a minute uh but i i felt like that was the intent was to show him like god Dang it, his job absolutely – every job that he has had since we've met this guy has absolutely sucked. But you know what? This guy has a task. He knows that this is something that he has to do, and he continues on. So to me, I looked at it as like big props. You know, Sam, here you are doing the freaking – you know, hard work. Maybe, yeah, you're not out there fighting freaking White Walkers and shit like that, but – He's got his own trials and tribulations that he's going through uh, so he can get this information to Jon Snow. At the end of the day, he is completely loyal to Jon Snow and getting this information and, and surviving. Um, for Gilly and, and baby Sam to Who survive. never grows. Like, he was just barely a little bit yeah. bigger than last season. But uh, Exactly. You know what? I, I think I, it also frames this point is that you don't always get what you want just because you get there. Like, Sam has always wanted to be a maester. He's always wanted to go to the Citadel. And you saw how happy he was at the end of last season when he got to go to the library. And Gilly couldn't go with him, and he still he still went into the library. Like, he left her ass. Basically, we all thought Sam has, has arrived. He has achieved his quest. No, he hasn't. He's cleaning chamber pots and sticking his head in a shitbox. So, I mean, you know what? You don't always get what you want just because you get there. But I like that you brought up Jim Broadbent because, oh, man, I just butchered his name. I just butchered his name, Jim Broadbent, because he's the second Harry Potter, or as Corey Thone calls him, Harry Potter, uh, alumni in the show as uh, Walter Frey, David Bradley was the first one. So Wait, no, even I know that the girl that was leading – yeah. Ran yeah. through the woods. No, 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 no. I'm talking about this, this episode. This episode is what I'm talking about. Okay. Yes, Tonks, okay. Okay. Tonks was killed right. last Listen. season. All right. Can I just, can I just say, let me just, let me just, I want to get this out there right now. Harry Potter sucks. All right, let's move on. <laughs> We're trying you. to gain listeners, Stone. I'm bringing the controversy, man. Um, this is Crossfire. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't agree. I love Jim Broadbent on this episode. He was just absolutely awesome, even if it was just a little snippet uh, of him, you know, doing some crosstalk with Sam and everything, and and agreeing that he believes that you know the the whites really exist and and you know the the, the undead and and stuff like that. Um, so I really felt like that was great. He he has an ally with uh 
uh, Jim Broadbent, and I and I love his acting. He's just a, an incredible, incredible actor. Um, so it was just one of those moments that you kind of go, okay, I could watch more of him. Please do not kill him off right away. Or, or, you know, have Sam leave uh, too quickly because any interaction between him and Sam is just uh, great TV. And I think we'll learn a lot more. And I think he'll push Sam a lot more into, uh, you know, like he stole the key to go so he can get into the secret library portion that he didn't have access to. Um, So I thought that was really, really awesome. Let's talk about Corey Smith. I want you to talk about that. that book that uh, Sam had and talk about what we saw as far as a weapon on it. So, yeah, so he's flipping through this, this stolen book that he uh, absconded with from the Citadel. And on the page is a picture of cat's paw, uh, which was pretty shocking. As soon as I saw it, I kind of put my hands up in the air uh, in the middle of our party. And I mean, it, cause it's kind of shocking. I mean, we last saw the dagger um, in Littlefinger's possession uh, yep. back in season one. Um, and then we saw it again in some promotional photos uh, in an Entertainment Weekly on Arya's hip. So, which I'm starting uh, to think was not so much of an accident, right? And so it seems like there's there's there might be something more to it than just some just being a Valerian steel dagger, which is obviously important in and of itself. Um, but to have it kind of in the book was kind of shocking because we were always kind of led to believe it was just a Valerian steel dagger, no big deal. Because uh, George R. R. Martin himself has said that he regretted putting it in there. Yeah, so it, it you know, it it was kind of interesting to see it there. I, nice I curveball, Germ. Can I can I ask a question? Are you saying cat's paw? Cat's paw. C a t s p a w. So who do you think's gonna rock the cat's paw? <laughs> oh oh man, God. we are sold. <laughs> Set it up, spike it. That was yes. good, man. So, but yeah, that was a great little nod. And then, of course, we learned that Dragonstone is literally made of Dragonstone. Everything in Dragonstone is Dragonstone, right? So, Dragon Glass. Uh, Dragon Glass. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Glass and uh, Glass. Obsidian. It's obsidian. Yes. Well, actually, and uh, so we got that going on for us, and so now it all starts to tie together a little bit, um, and which makes it a little bit of exciting for Sam because he starts to get all. I got to tell John, and you kind of wonder how long Sam's going to be at the Citadel now that he's learned the key to, uh, you know, the, the why Valeria used it in the first place. Didn't he say that the Valerians didn't even know why they were doing it? Yeah, um, you know, on that page, you could kind of read the the picture of Catspaw. You could kind of read the text, and it it basically says that the Valerians would adorn their weapons um, with with dragon glass, um, and it was just kind of a, you know, you know, diamonds or whatever. It was just something to kind of show their status, um, but they didn't necessarily know that it had some sort of other use, i.e killing the white walkers so yeah he he talks about that that they didn't know what they were doing um and that obviously that the dragonstone is is a mountain made of dragon glass so and then he sends off the little the little note to john um via ravens so uh obviously john's gonna get some 
you know, some good information here in just a little bit. Well, let me ask you this real quick, and this is super nerdy, super fucking bookie. I got to ask you this question because I thought about it a little bit uh, today as I was working. It went, adorning the Valyrians adorning their weapons with dragon glass. Do you think that that's part of the spells that goes into making Valyrian steel? Do you think that's what they were alluding to, or were you thinking more just like decoration? I, honestly, I, I I just got the impression that it was just kind of decoration um, because if I, as far as I remember from the show, they've only talked about the dragon glass. Um, on cat's paw. They never talked about it on any of the other Valerian steel weapons. So um, that's my best guess. I, I didn't necessarily pick up on any kind of book illusions uh, there. So, okay. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, – oh, uh, Isis, bring us into our next topic, and I know you really want to talk about this. Okay, so anybody who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that I'm a Tormund Brienne shipper. It's a thing. I love it. I love Tormund and Brienne. I wish I've been married for 16 years and I wish my husband looked at me the way Tormund looks at Brienne. This I mean, is not the is, first time she said this either. This is not. This and my husband knows it because he it listens to this podcast. Yeah, it is. It is known. He he has listened to this podcast, and I love my husband dearly. But Jesus, have mercy. The look that Tormund gives her. Okay, so first of all, let me set it up. Brienne is. Fighting with Pod, and she is, you know, they're training and everything, and that's wonderful. I love it. I love the fact that she continues on to train um, Pod, and, and he's learning a lot more. And, and matter of fact, he has even ch- kind of changed his clothing. He, he looks more like a squire. Um, you know, gone is kind of the silly smile that he normally has on his face, and the person who has the silly smile is freaking Tormund, who. <laughs> absolutely would love nothing more than to be thrown around by freaking Brienne. I mean, <laughs> nothing more. Like, she, he would love it. He would just love the fact that, and a matter of fact, tells Pod, you're lucky. You know, like, you're lucky, dude. You're, you're so freaking lucky. This is awesome. Uh, and he's just happy just to watch it. And I think it's so awesome to see, you know, how these two characters who, um, nowhere was it written at least i've I've read articles and stuff like that uh that nowhere was this whole dynamic ever written between torment and brianne where there's supposed to be these like longing looks and her to look in disgust and all this and none of that ever i kind of feel like she did not look back in disgust this time she kind of talked to him a little bit like you know I don't know. Did you catch that? She was a little bit warmed I, up. To I him. did. Just she may have warmed up just a smidgen, a smidgen, <laughs> uh, to Tormund and everything. And and he's just slowly wearing her down. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is slowly wearing her down until uh, hopefully maybe there will be an actual uh, Brienne and Tormund uh, moment that we'll get. Uh, but I, I absolutely love it. And like I said, I it's one of the highlights of the the shows um, is seeing them play off of each other. I think both actors have kind of basically, you know, brought this to life and, and I don't think it's anything about fan service. It just kind of evolved. And now it's something that fans really look forward to of maybe, Hey, maybe there's a glimmer of like love that may be actually be able to survive in this 
freaking hellish world that R.R. R. Martin has created for us. So, um, so I, I really enjoy it. So, like, speaking I said, of hellish worlds, let's talk about hellish worlds really quick. I know Corey Thone, your favorite part of last night's episode was the hellish world of the forest in the Riverlands, where um, banshees wailed as Arya rode through. Right? Uh, are we talking about that ginger kid that sings those songs? <laughs> Yeah, that guy. Come on, man. Yeah, that guy. Let That's, me ask you this. Dude. Is, are the cameos forced? Is that, Was that forced? Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, no, that was awful. That was the worst cameo I could think of. Uh, <sighs> I I hated it. I hated every second of it. You should have cast literally anyone else there. Well, not literally. That's <laughs> that's not true because I, I I'm seeing season seven where, like, Arya stumbles upon – uh, you know the Jabberwockies dancing in the woods or something. So that'd be a lot worse. Ewoks, but yeah, God, cross over. This whole thing took place on Tatooine, but there's uh, and there's the connection, Darth Plagueis, the wise bitches. There it is. Bring it, bring it full circle. No, it, it, it. I'm not the kind of guy that gets mad about ruining the immersion or whatever, right? Like that's, yeah. it's a TV show. I know it's a TV show. I'm watching it on TV, but. <laughs> That was just so weird to me to to have like a currently top of the pop charts pop singer in the episode. Again, it felt very Benny Hillish to me, and I I didn't like it. He I was brought it, on the show for Macy Williams specifically. He has are done you serious. A, yes, uh, the showrunners brought him on the show. Uh, he also has been on on. Such amazingly uh, well-scripted and crafted shows uh, like uh, The Bastard Executioner. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm kidding. Nobody laughed, and that made me feel bad. Uh, Corey Smith, well, you that, liked it. Nothing was funny about that show. Yeah, I liked it. Not necessarily because Ed Sheeran's some sort of awesome actor, but I just kind of like the fact that you know when you first – when you first see the scene, you think, okay, Arya found some Lannister soldiers. She hates the Lannisters. She's going to end up killing them all. I They're going to be assholes. I felt bad for Lannister soldiers for the first time on this show ever. Yeah, I thought she was just going to end up murdering them all, and, and that was going to be the whole point of the scene. But as she sat there and she just kind of talked with them, it was kind of – I thought it was interesting because if you watch Maisie's reaction to everything – she's kind of shocked that these people are being nice to her. And so I just thought it was a nice counterbalance to the fact that she, you know, committed mass murder, you know, a couple of hours before, um, you know, there, she's the reason those people are in the riverlands. They even say it later. Um, and so I just thought it was a nice counterbalance to see that she, you know, kind of, I guess, bring her back to not everybody's evil type thing. You Which know was a I mean? great counterpoint by one of our other contributors at Winter's Coming, Sarah. She she made that point. Is that yeah? Yeah. Arya no, doesn't the, point always... of the point of the scene is very obvious. Why <laughs> right. the hell was Ed Sheeran in it? <laughs> I didn't. Care. I didn't. I, I, so you could have had any his, other Lannister soldier there, not just not Ed Sheeran. There are countless other actors out there that can also sing that could have used a nice little break there to get a, a speaking scene in Game of Thrones, sitting next to Maisie Williams singing Ryan whatever song that is. Yeah, yeah, you know, someone's struggling like um, <laughs> Patrick Stewart, but there's 
seriously, like it just it, it just felt so out of place for this show. It truly felt out of place because the right. other times that there there's other even in this episode where somebody who is like not that the people on this show aren't famous now, but that is too recognizable for the Game of Thrones universe, be it Ian McShane or Jim Broadbent or whatever, mm-hmm. or, or really uh, Ned Stark. Uh, what's his Sean name? Bean. The di- Sean Bean. Sean, Sean the, Bean. The die guy. Yeah. Head, you were going to say the die guy. Head, or you? head and shoulders more famous than anybody <laughs> else on the show. Right? So there's Jim Broadbent being in this episode already was like, huh, there's the greater good guy from Hot Fuzz. And, and it, <laughs> then Ed Sheeran showing up who, I mean, he didn't do a bad job. I'm not ripping his performance. I'm just saying it didn't make any sense to me. I don't want to talk anymore about it. It just it well, feels ISIS has like the po- ISIS has something she needs to say because it, it, it brings in something pretty neat at the time from the books of the show. ISIS, you have the lyrics of that song, don't you? Yeah, I do. Just one little quick little thing. I really sincerely thought Maisie was going to say, hey, nice song. And, you know, Ed was going to say, thanks, it's on iTunes or something. <laughs> uh, it would have been hilarious. But, but is it trending number four did- today? May boom. Have, uh, boom. Fucking boom. Uh, so, no, I have the, the lyrics, and and I've mentioned before, and if you're new to the podcast, thank you for listening if you made it this far. Um, <laughs> we, you know, I, I'm not a book reader. I'm actually just a show only. and um, But I found it interesting just kind of on the Internet. Um, and, and if you didn't catch what Ed was singing – which he sung it beautifully. I have no problems with it. Uh, he said he rode down through the streets of the city, down from his hill on high, or uh, or the winds and the steps and the cobbles. He rode to a woman's sigh. That for is... she was, uh, yeah, for she was his secret treasure. She was his shame and bliss, a chain and a keep are nothing compared to a woman's kiss. For a hand of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm. So uh, from what I understand, this was actually a line that's in the books itself. Uh, It was actually meant for Tyrion and for Shay. And I believe there was some type of kind of this person who was singing it was kind of trying to extort money or extort something uh, from Tyrion. And this was something that he was really embarrassed about or whatever. Uh, But it was never used on the TV show. And it seems like Tyrion straight had him murdered. Oh, she. well, there you go. Uh, He had him straight killed um, like a gangsta. Like a gangsta. Anyway, so – I, I feel like they this is actually better served for Jamie and kind of foreshadowing Ooh. what might happen uh between uh, Cersei and, and Jamie that you know you know she is his shame and his bliss and uh his you know the man with the, the golden hand uh will always be cold but the woman hands are warm. Uh so I really feel like there's some super you know, foreshadowing that everybody's been thinking about that it was going to be Tyrion going to be the one that it was going to be Cersei's demise. But um, Jamie is a younger brother, even if it's from, you know, just a couple of minutes or seconds or whatever it is. And uh, and it could be very well that uh, Jamie is the one that may, you know, be the demise of Cersei. Uh, so I felt like, you know, everybody's kind of dogging on Ed Sheeran's 
you know, visit on Game of Thrones. I loved it. I know that he's been a fan of the show for years. He's talked about it, I don't know, since season two, or, or actually since he's become very popular. Um, so it wasn't shocking to me. I knew that he was going to be on the show. I didn't hate it. Uh, he sung beautifully. <laughs> But uh, I, I really felt like it was it was extra special just because there might be some foreshadowing um, at the end with this. So, you know, don't shit on freaking oh, Ed Sheeran. There you go. Don't just, shit on Sheeran. And yeah, I'm don't, don't shit on Sheeran. I mean, you know, I'm sure that the reason why they had him on the show, um, you know, was for a singing part. And granted, yes, they could have gotten anybody to sing it. But I tell you this. I was busy tweeting and I wasn't looking at the screen. And when I heard his voice, I instantly looked up because I knew exactly who that voice was. So um, I only know I, who he was because I had to write an article about him. I don't listen to him, but it, and that's, the, oh, that's, well, that's not a big deal. I just go. don't care. Um, but well, anyway, I loved it. Let's move on to the real acting that happened uh, on Sunday night, and probably, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion, uh, the best uh, scene of the night: Rory McCann as the Hound. Um, Coming across the farm of the people that he mugged, basically, and then he has this incredible moment where he looks into the fire, sees the vision, and then uh, burying uh, the bodies and, and then tr trying to say a prayer horribly. And then him, him, and, him and Thoros having some bonding time after uh, the hound was kind of rude to him. Phone, I know you love this scene, man. Take me through it. Man, yeah, so the Hound, uh, gosh, what a great character he's turned out to be. Uh, we also got – I love the Hound so much even before he came back as part of the, the cult in the forest or whatever that I looked up stuff about him from the show like on Google and found out that he was rumored to be the grave digger. And then, of course, he digs a grave in this episode. Which, Such a nice uh, yeah, it was it was great. Like I even I knew that because I love the hound so much. So, uh, yeah, showing up at the house, I actually didn't that I didn't catch that. That wasn't until after the show. I was you know strolling around the internet and somebody had I think it might have been on Wick wrote an article about it. And well, it was, the it, was, it was like, in the previously on as well. Yeah, but I didn't still oh, okay. catch it. Gotcha, and, gotcha. and I was like, oh, okay, so that makes sense, I guess. No wonder he knew they didn't have Elle in the house. <laughs> I did remember that part from that episode, but uh, which is so dumb that I remembered that, but not that they were in that house. Anyway, the I, I just where to start with that episode. First off, the guy I, I don't know their actors' names, but Barrick and uh, Thoros. Top Knot. Top Knot. From now on, he's Top Knot. He's Top Knot. Yeah, those guys are again two of the characters on that show that just chew and steal scenery with the just so easily like everything they say their voices their mannerisms are so good and of course you have rory mccann who i don't think anybody would have said you know who's going to become one of my favorite characters that guy like in season <laughs> one so also he was part of the greater good posse in hot fuzz so they um <laughs> boom <laughs> they have that scene where he makes me close to the fire which i thought was you know obviously a big deal, but he mentioned a the mountain, seeing a mountain, which you know, cocaine bowl, air horn, but you know the obviously they're hinting toward them going north and everything. And I, I don't know, man, that whole scene was just so perfect in that house. 
He's having to deal with his past and his future at the same time. You can tell that he does not feel good about what he did there. He can't justify it in his mind anymore the way he did to, to Arya when he murdered those people. Well, he it didn't just, murder me. Uh, he, like, he, he, I don't know, mugged robbed him. him. He mugged him. Oh, I thought he... He oh, mugged him, which didn't... caused him to, be, to starve for winter because the winter was, was coming at that time. And he stole mm. the silver... So the father couldn't feed his daughter, and so he ends up, you know, killing her and then killing himself. I, yeah. I, it, what struck me about the scene was that, you know, previously in the episode we had, we saw Arya kill all the people, uh, all the Freys, and we've seen Arya kind of descend from this, you know, sweet, innocent kind of spunky girl into a mass murdering assassin, and on the flip side. You know, like when they were in this house back in was it season three that they were there? I think it was three. Yeah, it had, had to be three because that, that was he took four off. It was so. right. No, he took he took five off. Okay, he yeah, you're four. right. You're right. You're right. So Not bad. either way, whichever season when they were there previously, Arya was the one that was going down, and you know towards you know like darkness or whatever you want to call it, and the Hound was already there. And so we've seen over the past couple seasons, Arya keeps going down, and the Hound has slowly been inching towards the light. Um, you know, he's kind of moved away from his gruff. I mean, well, he's still gruff, but not caring about anybody and taking whatever he wants. And, you know, he robbed these people previously, and now he's burying them in the backyard because he feels bad that they died. So I just thought it was a nice contrast that the two of them have, you know, Arya and the Hound, have kind of been going in opposite directions uh, from where they both started. And nobody and, drops the C-bomb like uh, Roy McCann's the Hound, I guess. Like more, yeah, and I mean, he tears... <laughs> he, I love... I mean, I'm with Thone on this. Every scene he's in, I love watching because um, he's got that kind of pragmatism that, you know, he, when he's grilling uh, Barrick, he's like, what makes you so special? Like, why the hell do you keep getting brought back? You know, what's... You know, and he just he's he's not trying to insult Barrick. He just doesn't he wants to understand he doesn't understand it. And from his point of view, he Barrick's not special and he doesn't understand why anybody would keep bringing him back. And so I just the entire scene I loved and I hope that we get a lot more of him throughout the, the rest of the season. I have a feeling though, this is Game of Thrones and when somebody has a redemption arc, it usually goes pretty bad for him. I hope that doesn't happen for the Hound because he kinda like Without being able to say the prayer, he kind of found religion a little bit in this episode. And even though he wasn't making fun of Beric, he was just basically asking him what made him so important. He straight up dogged Thoros, which was hilarious. Yeah, and and also I think it's important to, to see that <laughs> in the face of a guy that's been resurrected by uh, – Oh, top knot, Jesus. Uh, his name's too close. His Thoros. name's too close to other names. So uh, he's just top knot. Top uh, The in the face of someone who has been resurrected that many times, he still tried to recite the prayer of the other gods uh, that that with Ian McShane and stuff. The, like, the faith of the seven. Faith yeah. seven. Yeah, I didn't know which one they actually were, but yeah, yeah. he still tried to recite that prayer. 
instead of asking, hey, what does your God that I've literally seen resurrect somebody, what do they want me to say? <laughs> instead, he, ah, and it was, it. I, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, you could maybe say it's because he is responsible for the death of those people, and so he felt like he, I don't know, but it's like, I, I just love in the face of Everything the hound always is just the hound, and yeah. it's just it's such. We've a only great seen character. him. We've only seen him be tender towards two other characters. He was tender towards Sansa, and well, actually three. Tender towards Sansa. He wanted to protect her. He was tender towards Arya, obviously, eventually, and then he became tender towards Brother Ray, uh, Ian McShane. But uh, we also uh, we have a qu- one last question on Twitter for Take the Black. This is from Heather Todd at Eastern Violet. She uh, says, "What." Is the Hound, Thoros, and Barrett Dondarrion up to? How do they fit in the greater scheme of things? Well, if you paid attention to what I mean, Fun was talking about, which nobody really does that often, so you have to really listen. Uh, he's looking into the fire, and he's talking about a castle on the on the, on the sea. It's basically Eastwatch by the sea, which we talked about. Uh, Tormund's going there to man. So the Brotherhood without banners, top knot, Thoros and Barrett and the Hound and the, the corpse of the of the dad I don't know they're all going which somebody else also pointed out that for for worshippers of the red god and knowing that there's there's like the whites in the world now these guys didn't burn those dead bodies I don't know maybe because the Night's King isn't on the other side of the wall yet I don't care whatever that's that's something else for another talk for another time but anyway that's where they're going they're going to East Watch by the Sea because that's where the Night King's going we think he's going to go to East Watch or he's going to be around there. And that's where everybody's going to meet up. So it's going to be a fun time when Tormund meets those guys. So I want to round back around really quick to a real, fun thing. Can I just say real quick, Razor, because I just saw this, and I need you and I need you guys to hear it because I think I've discovered is is Charles Evans Ed Sheeran's dad? I think you might be onto something because holy crap, Bandit looks a lot like Ed Sheeran, but just like but like if Ed Sheeran grew up. Like like in Alabama instead, <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean. Got into one too many fights and uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. This is literally the only time that Bandit will listen to the the podcast that he helped me create all those years ago. Yeah. Anyway, back on back around to uh, Sam really quick. Just want to talk about it. Uh, one of the last things we see from Sam is he's walking down a hallway. Uh, I guess he's taking bowls of food from prisoners or sick people or whatever in their cells. And then, of course, we see uh, a gross hand come in. It's the hand from the trailer we all saw. And Jorah Mormont is is in Westeros. He's not in Essos trying to find a magical cure from some kind of painted masked lady that we all talked about in the books. No, he is at the Citadel, which kind of makes sense because they're all healers, basically. Uh, Smith, really quick, like – Round this up for me. What do you think about Jorah being there without any like any exposition? He's there. Yeah, I mean, I was fine with it. I mean, I think we've seen that you know months have have passed. Um, you know, if you just look at the fact that Dan, you know, we'll talk about it in a second, but Danny lands in Westeros. That's a couple month long journey. So um, you know, I'm fine with. With Jorah being in in Westeros without you know seeing some long journey, um, I mean the Citadel makes sense for him to go to. 
um, you know, it's a repository of knowledge like they talk about a couple of times uh, earlier in the episode. So I was fine with it. I mean, it makes sense. That's where he's going to go and the time frame all adds up. And I mean, yeah, I didn't have any problem with it. I had a suppository joke for the montage of shit too, and I just let it go. Anyway, um, a- but well, I I thought it was interesting the fact that you know it looks like his Westerosi AIDS has gotten a lot worse. Yeah. And um, you know, the last time we saw him, it was it was pretty bad, but it it looks like it's exceptionally worse. And, and the fact that I thought it was funny that he was asking for Danny, you know, like you know, has my queen come for me or whatever the the heck that he said has the dragon and, and queen I, landed is she here yeah and, and i just thought that was so funny like i'm like mm, she's kind of busy right now she's not really kind of you know worrying about you um not that i don't think she doesn't care but she is in fact really really busy right now uh and for now jorah mormont is literally locked in the friend zone uh and oh. that's where we should leave him uh it, we should so moving on to our last scene uh, is basically what we just you just talked about. Danny has landed uh, in Westeros. Her dragons are fucking huge. They're huge, and um, they like they're circling. If you pay attention for a second, and even the other the two small ones, uh, Rhaegal and Viserion, uh, they're flying around Drogon, and they start circling the top of Dragonstone. This massive fucking Targaryen castle there and they're and they're 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 kind of dwarfing it it's kind of like king kong on the empire state building and it's it's just it kind of it's crazy to see that these three dragons in i guess a couple of months voyage overseas grew this big and yet baby sam is still in a toddler so i just don't get it i don't get it game of thrones makes sense to me um, what do you, what did you think of Dragonstone, Isis? I know you had to like it. Uh, this is the first time we, we've seen it before when Stannis was there. This is the first time we really, really got to get into it. Yeah, no, I thought Game of Thrones did an excellent job with the very beginning of the episode, kind of showing how, you know, uh, Danny, uh, with her and her brother from season one, I believe that was episode one about going back home, and then we get at the very end of that the episode. That title is called Winter is Coming. That's right. Winter <laughs> is Coming. And so I really felt like you know it kind of went full circle, and, and I love the moment that she walks in, and she is you know basically kind of putting her hand to the ground. She's at her home. She's at the destination that she wanted to get to for six seasons. Um, so I really, really enjoyed it. And she was just basically taking it in. She was just basking in all of its awesomeness. And when the, the gates open up and you just see like, it just keeps going and going and going. Uh, I mean, you just cannot help, but just stand in awe of it and we didn't get to see that when stannis was there we didn't get that whole like visual of of how awesome dragonstone is and so i'm glad that they did it in this episode and then you know she basically starts walking around her house and seeing you know what's what taking stock yeah basically i was like don't touch the table don't touch the table Well, yeah, I mean, after uh, Stannis and, and, the, and the Red Woman had defiled that table, um, but hopefully there's no residue left on it. But so. uh, I like the fact – this was brought up on Twitter by somebody, I forget what – it was during the show – that she walks into the throne room, which it's very symbolic. Uh, Stannis has his, ban- his one of his old banners there, the heart and the fire, and the stag, and 
she just kind of rips it down like, this is not your home, bitch. And she, she not walked, in my house. Not in my house. And another thing that was in the uh, after show, uh, Benioff and Weiss were talking about. There wasn't one word said in that entire thing until the very end. Like even the the heavy hitters, like Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion, uh, and uh, you know people who have been with her, like Masande and Grey Worm, they did not walk beside her. Danny walked in front of her her group, and when she got into the throne room. She stares at the throne for a minute, and she starts to walk up the steps, and everybody thinks, oh, she's going to sit on her throne. No, she goes straight past the throne and into the war room, which was kind of impressive. She's ready to get to business. Uh, she's ready to get to it. Uh, you know, um, Corey Smith, you and I talked about Dragonstone when we saw it the first time in the first trailer, I think it was. And you and I were uh, in awe of how large and how kind of majestic it was. What do you think? Yeah, I mean – and. We we did talk about it in the trailer, and they, you know, they I guess they got you know extra money in the budget because, damn, I mean it looked way better. You know, when we saw it was when Stannis was around, we didn't see the throne room, we didn't see the big majestic beach. Um, you know, the the long looks like a seawall down. You know, from the beach, all we saw was like a little small portion of the beach when uh, Gendry takes off in the boat and we saw the dungeon and we saw the, obviously the map room. So, um, yeah, it was pretty awesome to see the whole thing, see the dragons flying around it. Um, and I did, I did like your point about, she doesn't, she doesn't say anything when she gets there. She's just kind of surveying it. You, you know, you have to remember this is the last place she was in Westeros before she fled to Essos as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there's significance there. I imagine she was probably trying to see, you know, do I remember this place? Um, you know, this is my family's ancient home, and this is where I was more or less born. Um, and she's just kind of taking it all in. But then at the end of it, she's like, all right, let's get down to business. Like She, says, she says the phrase that she said in the, what was it, the, the finale of season six, uh, shall we begin? She right. said it to Tyrion yeah. when they're in Marine. Uh, yeah. so this, that capped off an amazing premiere episode. I think, and I'll just, I'll start this. We'll do a round table really quick and then we'll sign out. Uh, for me, and I know maybe this is just the excitement of the season seven premiere. We had to wait so long for it, but this was by far my favorite episode of the series. I may go back and rethink it later, but, uh, off the top of my head, I mean, you got so much, so much happening in one hour really? that, yeah, man, you had so much that we've been waiting for build up and build up and build up. And it finally, it was like, you could call this a fan service episode. And I loved it. Uh, I like those kind of episodes. So give it to me all the time, D&D. I like these episodes. Keep them coming. Uh, I liked a lot of the scenes in them. The Hound scene, Arya scenes, uh, you know, Ed Sheeran scenes. Come on. Anyway, um, yeah, absolutely. Right now, Corey Smith, as I'm excited about it, I said it was my favorite of the series. I, okay, again, I, once my I excitement comes down, said. yeah, once my excitement comes down, I might rethink that. But I was excited, man. I was excited for this episode, and I was, I'm still hyped up for it. So, Isis, uh, give me your thoughts on it. Uh, incredible season one. Love the pacing. Pacing has kind of been an issue in later episodes, um, so hopefully they keep up the pacing that they have uh, currently. Um, 
I will not say that this was my favorite episode. Uh, that would be season six finale would be the best episode that uh, for me, as far as Game of Thrones music, you know, everything just just perfection. Um, but I really will say that this episode was uh, spectacular. It was especially the very beginning with the cold open and Arya just basically, you know, doing murder, revenge, murder, revenge. So uh, I'm completely here for it and everything, but I, I wouldn't go that far as, as you will. Again, I'm an excited puppy dog when it comes to Game of Thrones. One of our old podcast mates, Annie, used to say that about me all the time. All right, Corey Phone, uh, what did you think about this episode? Uh, it was fine. It. I've heard that. I, I've I heard that actual word said about this episode. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. So. I wrote for Show Snob today about did the episode live up to the hype? That's ShowSnob.com. Uh, ShowSnob.com. I think it, it did in the sense that it wasn't a bad episode, but when you really take a step back, what like all we really did was get an overview. It really kind of annoyed me, honestly. All we did was get an overview of the chessboard. We didn't see much movement. People, I mean, for crying out loud, we've got <laughs> – I don't know what it is about Danny and walking slow as shit and getting places. Superhero moments. But she, she gets them all. She gets all of them, yeah. So, I mean, of course, Dragonstone has got 8,000 steps to get to the top, and she's going to take <laughs> every one of them slowly. But She couldn't no, fly I, a dragon just, to the top, and that's just how the exa- question. Yeah, you can, exactly. Good God. So um, it was a fine episode, but honestly, you, you take – I mean, you had a big scene in the, in the – in the beginning with Arya, you had the hound scene, but then everything else was just kind of people in the places we knew they would be doing things that we knew they'd be doing. I mean, we didn't expect a ship montage, but other than that, and I guess Jorah, the Jorah reveal there at the end was unexpected. The Night King army but, with the three undead giants. Yeah, but but there's still just a bunch of undead people walking south. <laughs> Which they've so, been like, doing we, for six seasons. <laughs> for six seasons. So again, like they've okay. now taken up the baton from Danny. Danny talks for six seasons about a boat. Now the Night's King is walking south. So I just I think that it, it was a fine episode, but not a lot really happened there was some good character development but in terms of moving the people closer together there wasn't much going on Corey smith bring us home yeah I, i'm probably in the middle of of stone and you uh it wasn't the best episode of all time i have no freaking clue how you could even make that statement you know um, me i'm the excited puppy of game of thrones man come on i know all right yeah, keep going but you know i don't know it I would I would say it might have been my favorite premiere episode of the series. Great point. Um, I I don't I, I see what Thone's saying as far as we were kind of checking in with everybody, but there were some actual things happening in this episode. Um, it wasn't just a you know we didn't just check in with Cersei and she says, oh hey we need allies and have that whole speech and then nothing comes of it. Euron shows up and they start making you know some plans. Um, you know, obviously at Arya killing the phrase, um, you, you kind of saw John making plans, sending Tormund off to Eastwatch by the sea. So it, I, I'm in the middle. I, I think it was probably one of the better premiere episodes cause it wasn't just a checking in with everybody, but, um, you know, we didn't have necessarily the 
the biggest events happening, but you're never going to have a lot of that stuff in a premiere episode. You know, you're not going to have the big giant battles in the first episode of the season. So, you know, you have to kind of weigh it, uh, like on a bell curve, I think, you know, you gotta, you're not going to have that in the first episode, so you can't hold it against it necessarily. So I I was in the middle. It's definitely a great episode and I'm glad the show is back. I I wasn't bored during the episode at any point. Um, and I loved pretty much every, every scene in the episode. So, yeah, I, I agree that it's great premiere episode. Um, I will say this, uh, the trailer for the next, uh, episode, which is called, uh, Stormborn, and again, another, uh, Daenerys central theme, uh, we saw two things that are very interesting. The beginning of the trailer, uh, is it Glover says, uh, no one can trust a Targaryen, and he's looking straight at John, and the camera pans right at John as he says it. Uh, secondly, there is a wolf and Arya showdown. In the forest, guys. We might now. A lot of people have said this wolf in this trailer is smaller than Nymeria should be. Nymeria is a wolf that Arya owned that she got rid of in season one, and there's been rumors that Arya would would reunite with Nymeria uh, in the season. Now, uh, that was also said about Shaggy Dog. No way, that's not Shaggy Dog in season six. That's not his head. It's too small. It should be fucking huge. Okay, guys. This wolf is, might be smaller than Nymeria, and I'm gonna nerd out on you for a second, but it could be Nymeria. Or it could be our pack member. I don't know. It's pretty exciting. We got some exciting stuff headed down the track. Next episode should be, will will be not should be will be on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central. So get ready, get excited. Uh, we are just starting the season, and it will be over before you know it. Which means our season of uh, Take the Black will be over before you know it. But of course, we always continue on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments and on Twitter. And um, we will see you next Monday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.